Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. Because you guys know it's the year of the manifest goodness of God and our scripture leading us found in Psalms. That's what it says. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They'll sing with joy about your righteousness. So I was just back there saying that out loud. I'm like, everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness after story and story was going on and there's more to come. It's incredible. So nine days ago at breakthrough night, Sam, I didn't call it freedom night. So nine days ago at breakthrough night, we experienced a taste of God's glory, his glory. The entire two-hour service was permeated with God's presence. We witnessed amazing healing miracles. The following Sunday, we received a counterbalance to what happened the Friday before. Did you all catch that? We kind of had this intoxicating experience with God that was perfectly paired with the responsibility of carrying God's glory. This has all been designed and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. This is on purpose, and he's leading us through this process that I'm going to explain to you today. Because if all we did was experience God's glory, it wouldn't be long before we got off track. We'd get caught up in the emotion and excitement of it all, and we'd start focusing on the wrong thing. This is why so many marriages fail. The couple gets caught up in the emotion and excitement of physical intimacy, and then they neglect the responsibility of marriage. Instead of living to serve each other, they become focused on their own sexual experience. And when sex is the focus, it becomes an appetite that's never satisfied. While we're on the topic, if you believe that more or better sex will fix your marriage, you're deceived. You're deceived. That's what the world teaches you. Boy, do they teach you that. But you're not going to find it in the word of God. I love these reels that are going around Instagram right now. That's like, find it in the word. Find it in the Bible. Have you guys seen those? Well, find it in the Bible. When somebody tells you something that's from God, find it in the Bible. God is all for great sex. That's why he taught us how to experience it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Live to serve each other's needs. Put your spouse first. And when you do, great sex will show up. Hallelujah. I see some of y'all smiling because you know. And it's not because you forced it, it's because you're doing marriage God's way. Otherwise, if all you care about is getting some, you'll have a moment of thrill and a lifetime of heartache. That was a little bonus for you today. We did talk about marriage night, so might as well throw that in. You know, the same thing can happen if we start chasing after an experience of God's goodness instead of seeking God himself. But I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. You see, God wants us to experience his goodness. He wants us to. Breakthrough night was a gift from him. And he wants us to have greater and more frequent experiences of his goodness. But for us to sustain his goodness, our focus must remain on seeking God for who he is, not what he can do for us. And today I'm going to reveal how to sustain God's glory. How many of y'all want to sustain God's glory? So we're in the end time move of God. This will unfold as the greatest move of God humankind has ever experienced. And the true body of Christ, as the true body of Christ, we are the ones who are responsible for sustaining his glory. It's up to us. Some seasoned churchgoers are going to be watching this from a distance because they'd rather hold on to how things were done in the past rather than enjoy the adventure of how God is doing it this time. 
Others will be repelled from the glory of God because they would rather tolerate sin than pursue holiness. His glory will repel those people. Some are going to get caught up in the emotion and excitement of it all, and they're going to fizzle out along the way. But we will sustain God's glory. It will impact everyone we encounter. They will see and hear what God is doing here. And it will draw them, not to our church, but to Jesus, so that they can become part of the church. To sustain God's glory, we must first know what it is. And to figure it out, let's go to Moses. He made a request of God in Exodus 33. He said, please, show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. This verse overwhelmed me whenever I read it, whenever I first read it, because we're asking God, what does your glory look like? And his response is, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Listen, this is the year of the manifest goodness of God. That's why it overwhelmed me, because it was a confirmation of what he's already spoken to us this year. So when asked to reveal God's glory, God also said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So this verse, I believe it's prophetic of where we're at right now. In this end time move of God, we will experience all of his goodness. Not some of it, all of his goodness. And it's not going to end until we hear the trumpet sound proclaiming that the Lord is coming for his church. Because it says he will proclaim the name of the Lord before us. He's going to show us all of his goodness and he's going to proclaim Jesus is here to get you. It's amazing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So when I was cooking breakfast a few days ago, Beth rushed out of the bathroom after her shower, and she said, did you hear that? Did you hear it? Was there, was there a train or something? Like, it sounded just like trumpets. Did you hear it? And then she was overcome with the presence of God and began to weep, and all she could mutter was, he's coming. He really is coming. There was no train. I didn't hear a thing, and I have really good hearing. God was simply giving Beth an experience of his goodness and reminding her of how close we are. It took her a while to compose herself, but once she did, she said, I really thought it was time. I thought I was going to get raptured naked. (laughs) Wait a minute, Lord, let me get my clothes on. He is coming. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, and it won't be long. But first, God is going to make all of his goodness pass before us. God's glory is his goodness. And the pinnacle of his goodness is Jesus Christ. Let's ask him to show us all of his goodness. You should be asking him that every day. Lord, show me all of your goodness. Show me your glory. Show it to me. So now that we know what God's glory is, let's find out how to sustain it. And there's no better one to teach us than Solomon. He experienced an incredible measure of God's glory. And even so, he failed to sustain it. As a young man, Solomon asked God for wisdom, not for fame, not for fortune. He asked him for wisdom. So God poured his wisdom on him, and Solomon became the wisest man around. This wisdom enabled him to achieve a level of success, fortune, and fame that was unmatched anyone before And we've never seen it again. And he even shared his wisdom with us through the book of Proverbs. Y'all, he was an incredible king. 
Everybody under his leadership lived a prosperous and productive life. He was the man. He was awesome. But at some point along the way, he became wise in his own eyes. He got his eyes off of the source of wisdom and became consumed with the results of wisdom. And then came the book of Ecclesiastes. Such an encouraging book. He wrote all about the meaningless existence of life. Everything is boring. History merely repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. And in his most dramatic state, he said, the day you die is better than the day you were born. Have you all ever had a pity party like that? Don't raise your hand. So Solomon went from a thriving, exciting, successful life, and he did a tailspin into dramatic pessimism. And he wrote all about it for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of y'all use that book for truth. That's why you need to know the history of a book, the purpose of a book. That was showing us Solomon not being able to sustain God's glory. And then there's a different outcome at the end of it. I'm going to show you here in a minute. But don't go quote in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, I guess you can whenever you're having your pity party. That's where you're going to have to get your content from is the book of Ecclesiastes. But don't act like that's the life that God wants you to live. So the good news is Solomon's story didn't end in the dumps. He eventually made his way back to where he started. He put his eyes back on the source of wisdom. I want you to take a look at this. This is at the end, very end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. So Solomon experienced an incredible amount of God's glory and then he experienced the disappointment of his own glory. And after experiencing both sides of the spectrum, he gives us the way to sustain God's glory. The only way to sustain God's glory is to fear God and keep his commandments. What does it mean to fear God? To be afraid of him? Oh, no. It means to be afraid of turning away from him. You see, some people think that when we sin, God turns away from us. But that's not it. When we sin, we turn away from God. Did you hear that? Get your perspective right. God never turns away. You do, but he doesn't. And the deeper we go, so we turn away Let's say God's right here. We're facing him. We sin. We turn away. And the deeper we go into sin, the further away we get from God's goodness. But he's there the whole time. He never changed. Moses sums this up nicely for us in Exodus chapter 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Was he contradicting himself? He said, do not fear so that his fear may be before you. Moses, what in the world? He's not contradicting himself. These are actually two different Hebrew words. Both of them translated to fear in the English language. The first one means to be afraid. The second one means moral reverence. Moses is saying, don't be afraid of God. Reverence him by the way you live. It's like a teenager who's grown up with parents who love him enough to teach him moral excellence. And not only that, but they expect him to live according to what he was taught, or there will be consequences. This teenager has a healthy fear of his parents. So when his friends ask him to smoke weed or to steal or to participate in some sexual activity, he looks at them with wide eyes and says, no way, I'm not turning away from my parents. 
I'm not doing that. The fear of his parents protects him from sin. That's why Moses gave the outcome of fearing God. He said, so that you may not sin. A healthy fear of God protects us from sin. It's just not worth turning away from God for some temporary pleasure. It's not worth it. For several decades, the American church proudly preached grace without balancing it with the fear of God. And now we have a generation that thinks that grace, they would define grace as this. That's God going light on sin. That's why less than half of American pastors have a biblical worldview. Less than half of American pastors have a biblical worldview. That means this, less than half of American pastors believe the full Bible. The others are picking and choosing. We have, an entire, we have entire denominations that refuse to speak against the slaughter of babies through abortion. They're just not going to speak about it. One of the most well-known pastors in America right now is affirming those who are struggling with the sin of homosexuality, telling them that God's okay with your behavior and there's no need to change. One of the biggest pastors has the biggest following in America. That's what he's telling them. This distortion of God's grace is the heresy of our day. When we use God's grace to justify a sinful life, we might as well say we're following the Antichrist because it's the exact opposite of what the word of God teaches us. Take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament, y'all. And listen, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Yes, let's have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with the reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. This ought to shake what you've believed about the grace of God. We've gotten way off track. The grace of God is not God going light on sin. You believe that and just wait for his judgment to fall. Grace is the power that enables us to live without sin. Let us have grace. Let us have grace because grace gives us the ability to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You know what that means? By his grace, he destroys everything that is not of him. His fire comes into your life and consumes it so that you don't have to deal with it anymore. That's his grace, and that is good news. I don't know why we would want some counterfeit of God just letting sin hang out in our lives. I'd rather him consume it and get it out of my life. That is God's grace. So the next time you hear about someone struggling with sin, don't you dare say, don't worry about it, we have God's grace. Don't you dare say it. That's nonsense, and it has to stop. The right response to that is, okay, let the fire of God consume that sin and get it out of your life. Lean into God's grace because his grace holds the power to set you free. That should be our response. We did an overcorrection, right? Because there was legalism in the past where we hated the sinner. We hate the sin, but we don't hate the sinner. When you hate the sinner, you get off track. You're not loving him at all, but you're also not loving him if you tell him it's okay to live in sin. You're not loving him either way. Help him get free. Let the fire of God consume what's holding him back. So the grace, God's grace brings the fear of God into our lives. But that's not to make us afraid of God, it's to draw us closer to God. 
The fear of the Lord is a new concept for most of us. I mean, we've heard about it, but American Christianity abandoned it long ago. So we have no idea what it actually looks like to fear the Lord. What does that look like? John Bevere is one of the few well-known ministers out there that has never compromised the word of God. The reason is he developed a healthy fear of the Lord when he was young. He's now in his 60s, and he's realized that his life's work has centered, about, centered around reviving the fear of the Lord in the church. He explains it well in his latest book. The, it's called The Awe of God. And here's what he writes. To fear God is to be in complete awe of him. To fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. When we fear God, we take on his heart. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. What is important to him is important to us. What's not important to him is not important to us. To fear God is to hate sin. Not dislike it. Hate it. To fear God is to hate injustice. I feel like I have to define that word for you now too. What is injustice? It's babies being killed in the womb and nobody standing up for them. That is injustice. This racism stuff that we hear about, are there racist people in the world? Yes. There's a fragment of society that are racist. But that is not the injustice of our day. The injustice of our day is what is going on with these babies. And not only the babies, but if they happen to be born, the kids. Kids being bought and sold by our leaders. Leaders of the, I mean, that's injustice. Parents saying that they don't love their kids, that is injustice. The world knows there's an injustice out there, but they have their eyes focused on the wrong thing. To fear God is to depart from evil in every sense, thought, word, and action. It's to refrain from speaking deceitfully. It is to cast down every thought and imagination that is contrary to God. To fear God is to walk in authentic humility before God and mankind. I'm here to serve. To fear God is to give him the praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship he deserves. Thank you, Dylan, for preaching on that this morning. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. Everything. Even money. Whoops. All of it. And now I have to tell on myself. It was a little over a month ago, I went to a conference with pastors and legislators who want to see America restored, people who fear God. And at the end, uh, Norma Jean was there. And uh, at the end of it, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give $500 to this ministry. He tells me things like that a lot. And I, so I say, okay, I'll do it. So I pull out my phone and I'm trying to figure out where to give online because I'm a millennial. We don't believe in cash or checks. We only know how to use our credit cards. 
And uh, their, their website is, was awful. Like the online giving form didn't even work. So I was like, all right, I'll just do this. But I'll actually, I do have a checkbook. I'll go write a check and I'll mail it in. And so I get back to my office a few days later and I see that task come up. Give $500 to the church that hosted that conference. And now I'm not in the moment of the conference. And I'm in a place where I can think, where my mind kicks in, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I start to think, it's like, well, you know, God's already asked me to lay down this job over here. And I'm in a big financial transition. And maybe I just won't give that. So I didn't give. And I'm preparing this message, and I'm reading John Bevere's book. And I get to this part. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. And my heart is arrested. In, a, in an instant, I'm back six weeks ago to where I was disobedient. What did I do? Repented. How foolish of me to not give whenever you've asked me to give especially with as many times as I've been obedient to you in that area that I'm not doing it now. How foolish of me. So I pulled up their website on my computer and it pretty, it works pretty good on my computer. It just didn't work on my phone and I gave online right then. And there's a, I've heard a message throughout the years of if you miss your, your opportunity of obedience, initially you don't get another opportunity. And the Holy Spirit took a minute right there in that moment to undo that. There are times when that's the case, but it's not every case. Most cases, the Holy Spirit gives us many opportunities to be obedient. I think the enemy uses that lie to keep, to keep us in disobedience. Because the Holy Spirit says, hey, remember six weeks ago, here's your chance to be in obedience. And we say, oh, I missed it six weeks ago, so I'm not going to do it now. No, do it now. Get into obedience. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. To fear God is to tremble before him in wonder and awe. It's to give his word and his presence our full attention. Gone are the days when you can approach a church service lightly or a sermon lightly, like people have been doing for so many years. To fear God is to obey him, to carry out his will no matter the cost. We eagerly, willingly, and immediately obey, even if we don't see the benefit, even if it doesn't make sense, and we carry it out to completion. Wow. To fear God is to abstain from any form of complaining, murmuring, or grumbling. <laughs> Next slide. To fear God is to respect, honor, and submit to his direct and delegated authority. It is also to obey that delegated authority, with the only exception being if the authority tells us to sin. Our culture has such a big problem with submission and authority. He's talking about obeying your human leaders right here. Obeying God and obeying the ones that he delegates to lead in your life. We need to do a whole, a whole message on submission and authority. Coming to you soon. 
I won't tell you when because you would probably skip. <laughs> to fear, the fear of the Lord shapes our intentions, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We need the fear of the Lord. We cannot sustain the glory of God without the fear of the Lord. So God is pouring out his glory now. We've seen it here. They've seen it at Asbury. It's, you've seen it everywhere, all across the whole United States. We've already tasted it, and it's going to continue to intensify. It's not stopping, y'all. There's nothing that can stop it. It's going to go and go and go and go and go. And we're not going to see just some of his goodness. We're going to see all, all of his goodness. And it won't be long before his glory is announcing the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, I believe the Holy Spirit is pleading with us to be faithful carriers of his glory. He's saying, who can I count on to carry this glory? He's looking for those who fear the Lord because they are the only ones who can sustain this final move of God. They're the only ones who can. We've seen great moves of God's glory in the past, and then they've come to an end. Why? Because humans get in the way. Nobody's going to get in the way of this move of God. If they do, it'll be an Ananias and Sapphira situation. And I'm not even kidding. I'm warning you of that with a heart of reverence. If you're not willing to fear God, then you should probably keep a distance from what God is doing. Because we're going to see those things happen again. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.